Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. And I think as we look at where we're at as far as the Torah readings, we have entered uh, today the book of uh, Devarim, Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. And for many of us, that is one of our favorite books. We enjoy reading the book of Deuteronomy. First of all, it's narrative form. We'll talk more about Deuteronomy in the Shabbaton today, Lord willing, at 145. But there's a lot of narrative in a little bit later in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, there are some unique commandments that are found only in the book of Deuteronomy that are presented. And it stands to reason because a good number of those unique commandments pertain to doing something after you enter into the land. Well... The setting of the book of Deuteronomy is as Israel is about to enter into the land after 40 years of, nearly 40 years of wandering in the Midbar, in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy, again, Sefer Devarim, is much loved. It's an um, important part of the Bible. It's a lo fairly long book. It's the fifth book of the Torah. And our topic here today is not about Deuteronomy, although we'll be referring to it. I want to begin by this passage of Scripture. It's one that I mentioned before leaving for the conference. So it's like I'm picking up at a verse that I had mentioned prior. It's two verses. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. And the emphasis here that I like to express or for you to, to please grab onto is the first two words in the English translation where it says, All Scripture... Can you say that with me? All Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then verse 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this and gives us a, an idea of why or, or the, the wherefores of this, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when we think about our own personal walk with the Lord, there's no way we can consider growth in the Lord without the Word of God. We need the Word of God. How many agree with that idea? We need the Word of God. And it needs to be rightly divided. It needs to be uh, applied by the Spirit of God. In other words, uh, if we're going to speak, the Word of the Lord needs to be in the right spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. There, but all scriptures given by inspiration, one translation says, is God breathed, given by inspiration, and is profitable, and expresses what is profitably for. And in that idea, with that idea, and you think about the book of Deuteronomy, I know that if we went around this room and I asked you, what are some of your favorite passages from the book of Deuteronomy? Uh, I, I would imagine that a number would say something like, 
the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Or the Ve'ahavta, which comes immediately afterwards. Both of these things, or both of these statements, the, the Shema is called uh, by many the, the watchword of Judaism. The Shema, the Ve'ahavta, is really the, 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 the engine behind it all, that we should love our neighbor, we should love one another there. The, the Shema and the Ve'ahavta are part of Deuteronomy. And also in Deuteronomy, we encounter what could be termed the final words of Moses. As we, God willing, as we approach those last chapters of Deuteronomy, we'll really hone in on some of his final statements, his final exhortations, even his final warnings to Israel as they were about to enter into the land of promise. So the final words of, of Moshe, they're found in the book of Deuteronomy, which, which makes that an extremely important book. Well, as I've already said a couple of times, all Scripture is our focus. We really should be looking at all Scripture from what we call Genesis to the book of Revelation and make sure that we are looking at the, the panoramic view, as I term it, of Scripture, that that is a part of our lives. And not only looking at it, but also studying it. Now, the New Covenant, the Brit Chadashah, commonly called the New Testament, makes it clear to us that the book of Deuteronomy, among other books, by the way, which we'll talk about in a moment, the book of Deuteronomy was well known to Yeshua and the apostles. So if you feel like the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Devarim, is well known to you today, well, you're in good company because the book of Deuteronomy was well known to the Shlichim, to the apostles, and to Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He knew these passages. The apostles, the Shlichim, they knew these passages from Deuteronomy. And we know that because as we hear and read the quotes, or we read the quotes that are uh, attributed to Yeshua and to the apostles in the Berit HaDashah, in the New Covenant, they keep referring back to the book of Deuteronomy. It was one of the favorite places that they refer to. They kept referencing to Deuteronomy. There are seven times that Yeshua directly referenced, referenced the book of Shemot, Exodus. Seven direct references to the book of Exodus. And, for example, each time he referenced the Ten Commandments, he was referencing the book of Exodus where they're, they're first introduced to us in, in, a, in a systematic way in Exodus chapter 20. And he also quoted the book of Isaiah directly eight times. So he quoted Exodus seven times. Does that give you the impression that Yeshua and the apostles had read the book of Exodus? Yes. The same is true with Isaiah. There are eight direct references. I'm not just talking about allusions to, but direct references where he, he quotes, they quote uh, directly from the book of Isaiah, and he does that eight times. Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 7, what a way to start things. Hypocrites, <laughs> well did Isaiah, well did who? Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, 
And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He draws from Isaiah here, and again, there are eight times that I could find that he directly mentions Isaiah. But that brings us also to another time that he references Isaiah, and that was when he turned over the tables the, of the money changers at the Beit Mikdash, at the, uh, the temple in Jerusalem, and he referenced the words of Isaiah that we find now in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And it, it's a well-known phrase, and Isaiah 56, verse 7 brings us to this statement, For my house shall be called a house of prayer, betifilah, for all, all nations. And again, he pulls a passage from Isaiah. Exodus, Isaiah, and on ten separate occasions... Yeshua the Messiah directly quotes from our book that we're talking about today, Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. Ten direct quotes, that's quite a few. And Deuteronomy is the only book that Yeshua used as he was, in, in a sense, going through the temptation that we read about in the beginning of the Besorot, the Gospels. He uses the word of God from Deuteronomy to fight the enemy. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 uh, says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And Yeshua quotes this during the temptation. And what a powerful statement that was. He knew the book of Deuteronomy. And also when he was asked which, is, which, is the greatest, which are the greatest commandments, he quotes both from Deuteronomy and also from Leviticus, as is well known here. He quotes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and then later on from Leviticus chapter 19. Yet the book that Yeshua quoted from the most, would anyone like to raise your hand and take a guess? Which did he, TJ? Huh? No, Deuteronomy was 10 times. Miriam? Psalms, yes. <laughs> and it stands to reason he, we call him Yeshua ben David, Yeshua the son of David. I mean, this was family member. And he quotes from David, from Tehillim, he quotes from David at least 11 direct references, at least and in some of the most critical times of his life, his go-to place seemed to be Tehillim. The Psalms. And by the way, let me ask you, how many of you at different times have had one of the Psalms or a statement from the Psalms come to your mind when you face something in your life? I certainly have. Well, Yeshua quoted from his relative, can I put it that way? His relative, David HaMelech, King David, he quoted from Tehillim uh, at some very important times, in fact. He quotes from Psalm 22, verse 1 while he's on the cross. And he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is found in Psalm 22, verse 1. And it's also quoted, this whole incident is quoted in both Matthew and Mark. They reference this idea, this, this, uh, this statement. And another time that maybe is, is important to us here at Rosh Pina Congregation, when Yeshua was wrangling with the Roshay Konim, the chief a priest, the head Kohanim, and the elders that were around him, and they were giving him a hard time. How many of you know that some of the leadership gave Yeshua a tough time? 
at different times they confronted him, they challenged him, they tried to get him to step into some type of a, a statement that would be an error or that they could accuse him with. And at one time, he calls himself, quoting from Psalm 118, he calls himself or alludes to himself, Yeshua does, as the Rosh Pina. How many of you have heard those two Hebrew words before? I hope every hand goes up here this morning. The Rosh Pina, uh, translated in most English translations as a chief cornerstone. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, it says this. Yeshua said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? That is a statement that can resonate throughout the generations. How about ourselves? Are we finding ourselves reading in the Scriptures? Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief Roshpina, the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Well, we can continue referencing the various places in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, that Yeshua directly spoke of or referenced. But it seems to me there's a lesson that I want to bring across to us here today, and I think it's an important lesson, and it, and it, it, it revolves around how Yeshua used Scripture. It seemed like he quoted from the Torah, he quoted from the prophets, the prophets, for example, Isaiah, the Torah, Exodus, and Deuteronomy. He quoted from the uh, Ketuvim, the writings, as he quoted from Psalms and other places. And it shows that his knowledge, his understanding, or what he presented to the people was a pretty broad view of what Scripture says. And I found over the years that people do get uh, they do go astray when they get focused on just one small angle of Scripture. Just one little section of Scripture. And it's even worse when it's Scripture taken out of context, when it's Scripture misapplied, when it's Scripture that, that is used to prove a point that maybe Scripture itself doesn't want to prove. But Yeshua, in his, his broad statements about Scripture and the various Scriptures that he referenced, he, he seemed to have a, show a knowledge and an understanding and a presentation to those around him that came from all the Scripture. He wasn't only concerned about what the Torah said. He wasn't only concerned about what the prophets said. He wasn't only concerned about what the writing said. You know what he was concerned about? What the Torah, the prophets, and the writing said together. It seemed like he was very well versed in the Word, and I know it even seems funny for me to say that, that the living Word of God was well versed in the Word, of course. But he wisely applied Scripture. And I want to believe the Lord for us to wisely apply Scripture to our lives. To make sure the issues that we face in our lives, that we look to Scripture first. Examine the Scripture to see what the Scripture says. Some of our tendencies are to run to other people. Some of our tendencies are to put it out on social media. Some of our tendencies may be to, to not even uh, proceed with our investigation of, of the issues that we face. In other words, not want to go any farther and, and to, to do the work that's involved with finding the right answer. We can become apathetic and lazy. But Yeshua knew and used the Word of God in what we could call a balanced way, and that's a great example for us. 
I think that we as Messianic believers here today, believers in the Messiah, believers in Yeshua, we should be versed in all the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now, modern Messianic Judaism, I think it must continue to be a, what, I, what I would call a full Bible revival. You might say, well, of course it's supposed to be a full Bible revival. Well, when I say full Bible, I mean the full Bible that we do. We look at some of the hard stuff that we find in the Torah. I mean, let's face it, some of the statements in Vayikra, Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, can really be, you know, really difficult statements for us. Especially when we think, well, how do we apply this to our lives now? And one of the keys to the Scripture is application. Not just a head knowledge, but an application of the Word of God to our lives. And as a person matures, grows in the Lord, they learn better how to apply Scripture to their lives in the right and the correct way. As, as it says in the New Covenant, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So we want to have a well-balanced approach in our life. We want to make sure that we look at Scripture, even the difficult stuff, that we do want to look at what the Torah says. We do want to see what the writings say. We do want to see what the prophets say. We do want to see what the epistles say. We want to look at it all and, and believe God to show us what it is, most important of all, that he's trying to say to us, which will be in accord with his word. Yet... The word is also very clear about some things we shouldn't be doing. I don't need to harp on these things today. Most of us know some of the things we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> we shouldn't be lying. How many agree we shouldn't be lying? So I really believe in the Lord, you know, and then we're, we, we, we lie. We tell a lie right afterwards. We shouldn't be stealing. Everything from the tithe all the way to our neighbor's stuff, we shouldn't be stealing. We also shouldn't be immoral, living an immoral lifestyle. We shouldn't be hypocritical, saying one thing, doing another. We shouldn't be arrogant, and I suppose if I ask you, you could add to the list of many things that we shouldn't be doing. But yet the Word, and this is my main topic here today, yet the Word is also clear about those things we should be doing. There are certain things that we should be doing, and when we look at the supreme example Yeshua has given to us, things become clear, and I want to focus on some of the things that we may miss. Example Yeshua gave to us that we may miss it. We, we may jump over it because we get too wrapped up in other things when we look at the Word of God, but there are certain things, certain positive actions that Yeshua lived out that we could easily miss but they're there when we read the testimony of his life and the uh, four Besarot, the four Gospels, when we read the account of him that we encounter, we encounter in the epistles and the writings, they point to certain actions that Yeshua did, positive actions that are, are good for us to recognize and to live by accordingly. For example, let me give you an example. Number one, Yeshua remained faithful to the community. I was realizing over the years that I have been reading the New Covenant Scripture, I was realizing that I, I basically, as I read, I took for granted that he would always be connected to the community, 
Did you ever think about that? In Luke 4, he, he went into the synagogue at Nazareth. He's up in, in Capernaum and Capernaum. He goes to the synagogue in Capernaum. He travels around. He ends up going to the places of worship. It was a, it was a given for him. He remained faithful to community. And as I read the accounts of his life, it seems like it's almost as if Yeshua never missed a day at the synagogue. He didn't miss any of the services. He was there. And sometimes he was there in great, in great uh, glory. For example, healing individuals on the Sabbath. In the middle of the synagogue, some of the healings took place. Go leaving the synagogue and going to Kepha's uh, to heal Kepha's mother-in-law from a fever that she had. Well, you might say, wow, what's a fever? That's not much. Back then, a fever was a foreboding thing. I mean, now if people get fevers and hopefully we look to the Lord first and then we, you know, go from there. But back then, a fever could, could have been a sign that death was near. Who knew what would come? A fever had come. And his mother-in-law on, uh, right there lived by the synagogue there in Capernaum, if you visited there. By the way, how many of you have been to Capernaum in Israel? Quite a few of us. But uh, traditionally, her home uh, was right near there, and he went from the synagogue service to heal her. And then what did she do afterwards? She got up and she served, served him. So it seemed like he was never far away from the, the service at the temple or the synagogue, if you will. He goes into Jerusalem, and where does he go? He teaches at the steps of the temple. He was never far away. So I think that's a great example. How many agree that's a good example for us? If you want it in another way, and it is a new covenant commandment, one of the over a thousand new covenant commandments says, do not separate yourself from the community. Yeshua didn't do that. And I think he learned this somewhat from his parents when we read the account in Luke he gets left behind at the age of 12 in Jerusalem. What was he doing? He was going there to commemorate, to celebrate Pesach. A second thing that Yeshua did, that we can almost gloss over this as we, as we de delve into his words, and we should, but we, when we look at his example, we want to catch this example for our own life. Not only was he committed to his community, but number two, he prayed. Now, you might say, of course he prayed. Well, he prayed. It wasn't just a theory for him. It was a practice for him. We can trace to some of his most important decisions that he made. You can see that it, the text tells us that beforehand, you know what he did? He prayed. And friends, if you're thinking of making decisions in your life that are impact you or your family, etc., make sure you pray. Don't just go, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, why? Acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. Yeshua prayed. When he was choosing the 12 shlichim, the 12 apostles, it says he prayed beforehand. He, he prayed alone. Uh, think about one of the most important points for his life and our lives was what happened at Gethsemane, at Gethsemane. And what did Yeshua do at Gethsemane? He pulls off to the side. He prays this fervent prayer, unimaginably fervent prayer. And he comes back, and his apostles were all fervently in prayer too. Not. They had fallen asleep. 
not once, not twice, they had fallen asleep, but Yeshua fervently prayed as the cross was drawing near to his life, to him. And how important was that prayer time for him? And he prayed. A third thing that we see in Yeshua, an example in his life, is that he was thankful. One of the ways we see this is when he is told that his dear beloved friend Lazarus had died. Yeshua says he fell asleep, which Yeshua was right because Yeshua raised him from the dead. But if you look carefully at John 11, I believe is where that's mentioned, you look carefully, at least in two places, it says Yeshua thanked God in the middle of that personal tragic sorrow for him, sorrowful time. It's in that context with the death of his dear friend Lazarus, or really the sleeping of his dear friend Lazarus, that we have the shortest verse in the New Covenant, which is, as most of us can say, what is that shortest verse? It's two words, Yeshua wept. But he was thankful. Read carefully the account. He was thankful. He was thankful. He thanked God. He thanked God that people would recognize that God was involved, that God's glory would be revealed. He thanked, and he was a thankful person. You know what? We should be a thankful, a grateful people too because the more we are thankful and a grateful people, the less we will be an unthankful and an ungrateful people. And being an unthankful and an ungrateful people is not well-pleasing to the Lord. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Messiah Yeshua. A fourth thing Yeshua did, and this is probably one of the more challenging of what I'm going to list for you, but a, a fourth thing, and it's easy to follow this in the Scripture if you're looking for it, Yeshua was led by the Spirit. In fact, it tells us that even he was led in the, in the situation of the temptation that it was the Spirit that drove him that direction. He was led by the Spirit. And we too, we must be led by the Holy Spirit. That should be a personal challenge to each of our lives. Lord, how would you lead me? What would you have me to do? And he has placed certain helpers in that, in that situation for us, we have congregational leadership and authority. Uh, we have a spousal relationship. Sometimes we have dear friends that we can also speak things over with. How many of you have had to go at, at a, a, a one or more times to a, a close friend to just review something with them and ask them, what do you think about this? I have. Of course, we go to the Lord first. But if our goal is we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, this is what happened with Yeshua. He was led of the Spirit. If we want to be led by the Spirit, I believe God is willing. How many agree that God is willing to lead us if we'll let him lead us? The issue so often falls down at our address. Will we let him lead us? And at times we give him some uh, qualifications. Lord, I'll lead you, but I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. Lord, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this. And God may not be saying to do any of those things. It may be for our own uh, lifting ourselves up. So we want to be led by the Spirit. We should depend upon the Ruach. We should not rely on the ways of the flesh or the, the thoughts of our own mind, but we should look to the Word of God and be led of a Spirit. That brings me to number five. 
Yeshua spoke truthfully yet lovingly. At times when we look and read how he interacted with certain leadership, some of his words were tough. I mean, he spoke in direct ways to them. If you, if you doubt what I'm saying, I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 23. Read Matatiao 23 and just see how strong Yeshua's statements were. Did he speak strongly to them because he didn't love them? I think it's the opposite. He spoke strongly to them because he did love them and could see that the way they were going was erroneous. It was incorrect. They weren't walking spiritually. They were walking, walking carnally. And when you read the woes, the, what's called the chapter of woes in Matthew 20, 23, you realize that Yeshua, when you start parsing it and pulling it back some, you realize that he loved them so much he was telling them, trying to get them to get it right. And by the way, have you ever had someone speak to you strongly in love because they really loved you? I'm not talking because they just want to get the release on you. They, they cared about you. And so they speak to you directly and they say, you know, I don't think this is right, what you're doing. Most people that have to do that, the Lord leads a person to, it's not because they want to fight, it's because they feel that they need to that the situation's got difficult enough and dire enough and maybe dangerous enough that you got to speak to them. Many parents have had to do that with children. You know, this is where the way you're going is not good. Whether the child gets it or not is another story. And, and we were children, most of us at one time, and we probably yeah, went through that exactly. And I have seen occasions where some children have had to speak to parents because the parents' ways were not correct. But the most important thing is to speak truthfully, yet lovingly, and we are told to speak the truth in love. We should be using constructive words that come forth from a heart of love and out of genuine concern for the Lord's will and for the well-being of that individual. Number six, Yeshua was humble, and coupled with humility, compassionate, and coupled with humility and compassionate, he was caring. Even to this day when we think of Yeshua, one of the great adjectives to describe him was that he was compassionate, that he was humble, and he was caring. So we must let him, by his spirit, transform us to be more like him. He said, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. And then he describes himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He wants to transform us by his spirit to be more like him so that it's true what the scripture says. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion. Compassion doesn't necessarily equate to the changing of boundary markers. Sometimes we misunderstand, I believe, compassion and think, well, we just alter the boundary markers. God's boundary markers are inalterable. His word is forever settled in heaven. If he says something's wrong, it's wrong. If he says something's right, it's right. Who's going to refute him? We can try. Societies try. But it's to their own detriment. But he desires compassion. 
And it's an important truth. It is quoted in several places in the New Covenant going all the way back to the Tanakh that he gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. That's a verse that's quoted several times in the New Covenant. Number seven, Yeshua proclaimed the kingdom. He started out almost immediately proclaiming the kingdom. And where there's a kingdom, there is a king, a ruler, someone in authority. He proclaimed the kingdom. And we should make sure that our speech is uplifting and it is kingdom-oriented. When we're speaking to people, it should be kingdom-oriented. Where we're uplifting the Lord, the the things that we are saying, they're, they're adding grace to the hearer, not more trouble to the hearer. Most of us have enough trouble in one day. Yeshua said, sufficient unto the day. This was 2,000 years ago, before all the technology, all the stuff we have, all the media stuff, all the stuff we have going on in this big, wide world of ours. Yeshua said, back then, 2,000 years ago, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And that was back then. What about now? Confronted from every direction, we must make sure that we proclaim the kingdom of God, that we shouldn't be ashamed of Yeshua. Friends, wherever you're interacting, try to speak the word of God. Try to lift up Yeshua if you can. And if you have trouble doing that, ask him to help you because I think he will. I know he will. He will help you. He'll give you opportunities. In some cases, he'll show you individuals out of a crowd and say, this is the one. This one's mine. Speak to that person. And then the onus is on us to obey the voice of the Ruach and to speak when we should speak and be quiet when we should be quiet about certain matters. We must lift him up. We must proclaim him as King and Lord, as Messiah, not less than that. And I appreciate here every Shabbat that we mention the deity of Yeshua. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that brings me to the last point, number eight. This one is very popular, but we should notice that he did it. Yeshua spoke of his return. There are lots of passages of Scripture in the Brit Hadashah, in the Besorot, in the Gospels, where he talks about his return, that he's coming back. And I think we should also. We don't know the day or hour he's coming. For example, in Matthew 24, verse 27, it says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, he spoke this just before his sufferings. And he was already proclaiming, and this is a latter passage, but earlier in the, in the Besorot, in the Gospels, he also spoke about his coming. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, say the next part with me, please. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's say that again. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, it's going to be a total experience. It goes on further, and you're welcome to read all, all of Matthew 24, but for brevity's sake, I'll just quote a few more passages from Matthew 24 that references his coming. Matthew 24, verse 42 says this, Watch therefore, 
for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Could you say that with me? Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now we could do a timeout right here and discuss the implications of that idea. How would that dictate to us the way we should live if we don't know when he's coming? We should, we should be dressed in readiness, as one of the translations says. We should be prepared. They could come at any time. And that is on an individual level because we don't know. Tomorrow's not promised to us. I know as a young man, I had one of the most harrowing events in my life was right after I became a believer. And I've mentioned this before. Some of you, it's been a long time since I told this true story, but I had just become a believer I was living in New York, and I became uh, friends with uh, a, a guy. We were going to play basketball together and all that, which we did in a little league. And, and then um, I invited him to come to our fellowship. By, by that time, I had connected with a group of believers. Uh, we met in a park. It was one of those type of things. And this young man's name, I won't say the last name, but he was my age, and his name was Billy. And I remember as clear as a bell to this day, and I'm up there a little bit now, but I remember as clear as a bell a transaction of conversation that we had. Billy had a very nice new Volkswagen. And back in the uh, beginning of the 70s, that was the car. <laughs> Anybody remember that? I'm dating myself. A little Volkswagen, but you know, frankly, back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot to that little Volkswagen. <laughs> It was the engine in the back and, the, you know, nothing in the front, that type of thing. And so I, I had a conversation with Billy. I was just, had just come to the Lord. I didn't even know much about the Lord. I wasn't raised with it, obviously. And I, I asked him, I said, why don't you come with me tonight and meet these people we're going to meet in the park and, you know, sing and everything. And he looked at me like I was from Mars. And he said, no, I'm going to a concert tonight. And he said, do you want to come to the concert with me? And I said, no. I mean, from the first day that I became a believer, I was committed to the community. I said, no, thank you. It was, uh, by the way, it was tempting. <laughs> I won't tell you which band was playing, but a very well-known band. And I said, no. He said, oh, come on. Yeah, I'll give you a ride. I said, no. And I went to my uh, little meeting out in the park that evening. And back in those days, and... Uh, there were newspapers. How do you remember newspapers? Anybody? <laughs> and we at home, we, we received the newspaper every day. How many used to get the newspaper every day? <laughs> well, we're really dating ourselves. You ancient of days out there. <laughs> but so uh, I went to the meeting that night, and he went to his concert. And so the newspaper came to our home. It came in the morning. It was early, maybe 7, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at the front page, and there was a picture of a crash of a Volkswagen. And it was Billy died instantly in a car crash. I cannot tell you what happened to me inside. I couldn't eat. I was totally shocked. I was a very new believer. Totally shocked. And what kept getting me for years, I kept remembering our conversation. How I had tried to share the Lord with him, how I had invited him to, 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 
you know, come to the community, and he chose to go another way. Friends, make sure that you tell people the truth about Yeshua, that he is the Lord, that he's coming back again, and that his kingdom is forever and ever, and that we all must be right with him. And not only that, but we have these elements here before us this day that tell us he has provided a way for us to have relationship with him. If we're willing, he's willing. Now, after Billy was killed instantly, and sadly they had a picture of the car on the front, it was very harrowing for me. I was sick, I could barely eat, and it put something inside of me like, Wow. I mean, I didn't even know about Matthew 24 hardly at all, but I knew that. The, the what point I got from it was that the Lord could come at any time for an individual. He came for Billy. Billy had it that night. I can't explain all the theology about that. I didn't know it all. But he came that night. Billy died. Where did he go after that? I don't know. God is a faithful judge, and he's righteous altogether. Friends, do not take the grace of God for granted. Live for him now. Live for him today. Make sure you put in place some of these very principles we're talking about here today that Yeshua practiced, that were part of who he was, and make them part of who you are, that you can count on those things Matthew 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this. So on one hand it says you don't know, but then it says you need to know this. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have done what? Watched and not allowed his house to be broken into you need to guard your spiritual house, your very life, and keep it in the will of God. Make sure you're doing the will of God. Don't be rebellious. Don't be doing your own thing because we don't know what hour the Lord comes. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44 is very powerful in my opinion. Therefore, you also be ready. Let's say that together. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does that do for you to hear that? These words resonating. Friends, lastly, number nine, Yeshua walked in victory despite adverse circumstances. So should we. You can be victorious in life through faith in Yeshua. You can be above the circumstances that keep hitting at you when you keep your eyes on Yeshua. First Yochanan, first John chapter five, verse four says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory that has overcome the world? You see what it says? It says, our faith, our trust, our belief in our Messiah. You're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. He leads you in the victory procession. Will you let him? He's provided the way, as these elements showed, to a personal relationship with him that is an eternal one because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet he's transforming us so that we might be increasingly 
according to the image of our beloved Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah. So please join me in believing God for an even greater work in and through this community and through you as participants in this community, through us as participants in this community. Please join in, in believing God that we would live our lives in a way that's in harmony with the Holy Spirit, that's in keeping with the Word of God, that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes down the pike, but that we are steadfast and movable, as the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that work, that work that's in the Lord, is not in vain, because whatsoever a person sows, they shall also reap. For some of us, that means that we need to dust off the Bible. Recently at home, when we were um, laid up for a number of weeks with COVID, at home I, I didn't have a whole lot of strength and I decided to tackle the bookshelf and to put all the books in order that I have. And I am a, a what would you call them, um, a bibliophile. <laughs> I love the scripture and I love books, so I have books and I went through them and organized them, etc. And then I realized as I was doing it how many Bibles I had. Now, I'm not going to ask you to tell me how many you have by a show of hands, like if you have five, show five. If you have ten, show ten. If you have more than that, then please don't show your toes. <laughs> we, we, get it, we get the point. But having a number of Bibles is not the same as studying that Bible. It's not the same as delving into that Bible. I found that over the years, I've been a believer for many years now, I found that over the years I'd accumulated some Bibles. And my first thought was, who can I give these to? And I'm still asking the Lord about that, to show me who to give these to. But sometimes if we, we want to get in a more personal relationship with Lord, we have to dust off the Scripture. Coming here on Shabbat is not enough for scriptural. We need to de delve deeper. We have many opportunities here at Rosh Pina, whether it be uh, the Tuesday Bible study, which, by the way, this week we don't have. We have the concert with the Israeli group. But we have the Tuesday Bible study. We have the Thursday Zoom meeting for the ladies. We have the Sunday evening Zoom meeting uh, for, for discipleship. We also have, the besides the Shabbat service, we have Shabbaton. We have other things going. There's plenty to delve in, but we still need to go when we get home and dig into the Word of God. We also sometimes need to bow our hearts to God. In fact, I would say at all times. We need to make sure our hearts are bowed to the Lord. That involves bending our knees in prayer. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but when was the last time you actually got on your knees before the Lord, on your face before him? And not for anyone else to see, but for him for a relationship with him. We also need to lift our hands in thanksgiving and praise. You have freedom here to do that. Lift your hands in thanksgiving and praise and we, we can look to God to bring us to a new place in our walk with him, our spiritual walk, and that we will grow and trust and grow, growing in trust of his faithfulness towards us because our eternal future, your eternal future is connected to your belief in Yeshua, your trust in him and his atonement as we see these elements. And we know that he laid down his life for us. 
He gave his life on the tree, the cross, the execution stake, and that the grave could not hold him. That's why we can say, and he did proclaim, that he's coming back again. Will you please join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper today. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We proclaim all your goodness. You are good. You are righteous. Your word is truth. Your love endures forever. Your spirit is blameless. Lord, I lift up each person here, each one of us, Lord, and acknowledge that we as a congregation need you. We trust you to lead us and guide us. We trust you for provision. We trust you, Lord, to help us to walk in the straight and narrow as you commanded us to do. Father, I pray that you'll work in our hearts as we are partaking of these elements, that you would work in our hearts, that these, the very thing we're about to do would be more than just a rote exercise, but would be a, a, true, a true inner striving or reaching out to you and acknowledgement of you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.